0: Welcome to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Andrew Holland. This week, we talked with General Steve Cheney, ASP's president and my longtime boss. We took a look back at the year that was in 2020. We started out the year looking at the Middle East and the assassination of Iranian General Soleimani and the blowback from that. Then we moved on to the ongoing debate about civil-military relations and how that was affected by the protests for racial justice throughout the year. We talked about our big events, including one on U.S.-Africa relations and our trips around the country on climate. And then we thought some about what the world looks like going forward. It is gonna be a completely different year in 2021 under the Biden administration and all that means for American national security and foreign policy. It's been quite a year And thank you all for listening and being a part of our year. We'll continue doing more of these podcasts, and we look forward to hearing from you if you like what we're talking about. Thanks, and now let's get into the show. General Cheney, welcome to the podcast. Hey,
1: Andrew, it's my pleasure to be here.
0: You know, as our president now, you were our CEO here for, God, it must have been eight years. You've been a part of ASP, though, since its very beginning, 15 years ago. And now in our 15th year, I'd say it's been a pretty busy one.
1: You know, Andrew, by any stretch of imagination, when you look back upon the year and certainly with the pandemic and then the election, it's just been astounding. And the the whole panoply of year-wide events that have impact on national security, and so many of them are topics that ASP has covered for now for well over a decade, a decade and a half. So I hate to say it's been a banner time for ASP. That's probably the wrong word. It has been a boom time for us.
0: Yeah, it's been a tough year for, for a lot of people and everything. But of course, our topics are as important as ever. And I was looking back at key moments of the year. And actually, it surprised me that thinking back this long, back to January, seems like (laughs) a decade ago at this point. But before the coronavirus was on everybody's screens or anything like that, we had the assassination of Soleimani in Iraq, the Iranian leader of the, the Quds Force. And this was interesting for ASP because we've been working on issues like Middle East strategy and security for a long time. And we had we had put up a map Showing where American military bases are all around the region. That became our highest uh, hits on the website ever. People looking at that website, trying to figure out where American troops are and what's what's going on there. But it was really an interesting thing to show what people cared about when something like that was at the top.
1: Yeah, Andrew, it uh, I hate to say it sounded almost vengeful, or and you know with President Trump's desire to always be in the press and always be in the limelight, you kind of wonder how well thought out this assassination was and uh, was it just a revenge killing? Uh, Don't don't get me wrong. I didn't shed any tears for Soleimani's killing. Mm -hmm. And, And as a Marine, you know, this goes way back, back into the Beirut days when we think he was possibly implicated in that, I mean, this is a bad guy. Like I said, I didn't cry for him, but you've got to wonder, where was the strategy? What were we planning on in the, the whole realm of the Middle East? Where does this fit into how we were going to uh, work the whole business? And, and, and frankly, I, I, there have been some good things coming out of the administration and you know the whole business now with uh, the normalization of relations between Israel and a number of the Arab countries. That's not a bad thing. But then you look at our withdrawal out of the JCPOA was this intended to really stab at Iran and say you you better stop doing what you're doing or we'll do or we'll do something worse uh, i i just kind of question the overall strategy of it i i don't think it helped the situation any i'll put it that way andrew
0: yeah you know we had people at the time were trying to to say oh we had to reestablish deterrence in the middle east or to kind of show our our leadership but then now looking back here we are almost a year later and you saw in the the middle east especially in iraq there were threats that the united states would have to withdraw diplomatic personnel from the green zone the iraqi embassy so it's not like reestablished deterrence or anything like that there it was still a dangerous area and i do worry that things like this that were not thought through only serve to make it more dangerous
1: yeah i I mean uh, again the the whole foreign policy of our Incumbent administration is in question, in my opinion. You wonder where the grand strategy is, where we're working diplomatically. And of course, you look at what Pompeo's done at the State Department, and I can tell you from personal experience, the morale there isn't exactly on a high point. And ASP was founded originally on the premise that we don't need to be solving our international relations with bombs and bullets. You know, in fact, the majority of the military folks that I know, and certainly those that were founding fathers and mothers came off and said, hey, let's work diplomacy first. Let's try to work with our allies. Let's put pressure in other ways. And uh, I'm just not sure that's been done. I'll put it that way.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and you mentioned the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the Iran nuclear deal. And now it does look like with the Biden administration coming in, expressing a desire to join it and seen from the Iranian leadership, well, that they see the door is open as well. They're not closing that and perhaps a welcome return to some sort of normalcy there.
1: Yeah, I mean, this last 60 days have just been absolutely incredible in in every respect. But when you, you look at the assassination of the nuclear scientist in Iran, yeah. the timing is just odd, I'll put it that way. Yeah. And and you wonder, you know, of course their fingers are being pointed at Netanyahu and Israel, which I have no doubt they were implicated or bound and part of it in some way. But that just makes it that much harder for the Biden administration to come in and say, now we're going to renegotiate or we're going to get back into the back into the JCPOA and let's see where we stand on those. I, I can imagine the Iranians are just not just biting their tongue. They've probably got no tongue left. Yeah. After this, I mean, they're just going to go. What is going to happen next? Now you know we've got thirty days to go. You just never know. But Biden's made no secret of it that that's one of his plank issues right off the bat yeah. is getting back into the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. So it's, it's it it has not made this any easier, and I don't think it's going to get any easier. But but I'll I'll say one more point on this is that. You look at the team that he's he's put together. Biden's known he was going to be the nominee for the Democratic Party basically since last March, mm-hmm. and so they've had a lot of time to sit down and talk issues, policy issues, and and work these things through. Unlike, for instance, Hillary Clinton in 2016, she didn't know she was going to be the nominee till the summer, and of course then she didn't get elected. And, and Trump, of course, had no clue that it was really going to be him and and they launched into the transition totally unprepared. Not so with Biden. Not Great. so with Biden. So they I can guarantee you they've got some solid professionals that have worked this issue for years and and they have a plan. So I'll just leave it at that.
0: Yeah. Well, now pivoting to to the big thing that of course upset everybody and and everybody's plans throughout the year was the emergence of the coronavirus and the shutdowns and and remote work that everything came out of starting in early March and then growing around the country and around the world. I, this, this week of the year, for the last two years, I've been in, in Doha at Doha Forum, but of course we're not doing that this year because of the, uh, the coronavirus shutdown and nobody flying. It's something that, that really affected everybody in the world showed that everybody's vulnerable and changed a lot of things.
1: It certainly didn't start off very well. And and again, n- not to harp on the Trump administration too badly, but calling it a hoax, calling it'll be over in, in a couple of months, this is just like the flu. I mean, all feeding that into the press uh, was so absurd and and so obviously wrong. And now they they have had A big success with the vaccine. I mean, uh, whoever you want to give that credit to, who cares? I'm just happy they've got a vaccine now from Pfizer, another one coming from Moderna that's here. Give them all the credit in the world. Thank you for doing that. But we sure could have prevented 300,000 deaths by being much more proactive with this right from the get-go, setting the example like any good leader would. And wearing your mask, doing just really basic, basic things. So we, we, you know, we, the United States government has kicked this in the stands right from the beginning. With the exception of the vaccine, the vaccine thing is is a real plus, and it's a great thing, no doubt about it. And it's another one you watch how Biden opens almost all now his press conferences, talking about the issue du jour, which is the pandemic. And when you you just cannot ignore the tragedy and the number of deaths that have occurred and and he understands this. And yeah. you certainly don't get that opinion from uh, from Trump. Yeah. And
0: thinking national security and foreign policy wise, I do think that the COVID crisis and coronavirus response does kind of give the Biden administration to start almost from a clean slate here. You know, they can can almost think of it as a, as a global reset and start back anew in a lot of places and hopefully just Lean into a year of recovery and rebuilding, and then then off we go and see if American leadership can help again. I mean,
1: Andrew, you're spot on. I mean, it. I, I'm not saying he's he's been handed the keys to the realm here and everything's going to be happy, but nonetheless, we're going to kick this thing. We're going to beat it. The vaccines are here that we know they work. And again, whoever you want to give that credit to, but we're going to get over that hump and get on to things that will soon be more important like the economy, international relations, diplomacy. I mean, those are, those are issues that they're going to have to tackle big time. The economy is perhaps the next biggest one that's coming down the pike. And, and he's picked some fabulous people to work, those issues. So we'll see how he handles them. You know, they, they could boot this in uh, in the air too and, and not do well, but I, I kind of doubt that. I think they've yeah. got a pretty good handle of it.
0: You know, an, another issue that, of course, captured the headlines and feeling of the country was the racial justice protests. And uh, then something that, an aspect of that, that ASP really leaned into was clearing of Lafayette Square by military or paramilitary federal forces I guess is what you call them and then and the civil, civil yeah. Yeah. that that opened up that really was you know one of the I think key moments of 2020 was you know the, the tear gassing and, and everything and then the response by uniform military the the leadership as somebody who spent you know your career in the military. What was what was your feelings watching first that that clearing and then the response? Well,
1: Andrew, it was such a sad, sad event. And
0: um,
1: in compounding the error, of course, was General Milley appearing in the photo ops, to which he subsequently apologized and said he should have been there. And I, and I, I personally think he was a little bit duped into it. wasn't yep. sure when they were walking over there, what was going on and it got broadcast. And then he immediately, when he recognized what's going on later on, he stepped back and said, this is not the role of the United States military. You know, we are not there to put down protesters. We are, we are not there to fight our own citizenship. That is not the role of the United States military. So I think they've cleared that issue up now. It certainly wasn't clear then though. And you know, the attorney general was involved in it. So it, it just, it just was a a distasteful event, and it, it involved the military, and I think it put a little bit of a, a stain on on our record of our United States military being candid about it. I mean, we we had helicopters flying over. I mean, this this was not the right thing to do, and uh, and uh, we've learned a lesson from it. You know, I I think think the Joint Chiefs have learned a lesson from, and I know General Milley has too. And, and I think he's a fine person. And I think he's a great chairman. He certainly has backed off on all this. So uh, if there's any good to come of it, there has been a lesson learned and people understand it.
0: Yeah, it's almost like leadership ha- didn't quite realize how far down the road this was going and read some of the, some of the after action reports. You know, 82nd elements of the 82nd Airborne were in Fort Belvoir, you know, just outside of D.C. here basically because nobody knew knew how to tell the commander in chief, no, we're not going to do this until finally it was public and visual. And and that it's a real it's a difficult spot. Got to give them the benefit of the doubt. But even still, it it was important to have seen it.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, And and it's going to continue to be a live issue going forward. You know, of course, the it, it it'll be interesting to watch, you know, now with with Biden nominating a a career military general to, to serve as a sec deaf he'll need a, a waiver again so it's going to continue to be an issue I have, I have no problem with, with general Austin I think he'll be a, a great secretary but it's this is something that that's going to continue to be an issue
1: here yeah it's ironic that here we just had only the second waiver in history after General Marshall we had general mattis under the the Trump administration and I and I, I will admit a prejudice here I know him well and he's, he's a fine person. I don't know Austin, except from what I've read and seen, but my friends that know him speak very, very highly of him. But I will add, you know, Admiral Denny Blair had a big article in the Post last week that addressed military flag officers being involved in the political side or certainly in the cabinet level, talking specifically about Austin. And it's not like Hitler and the Third Reich. All your military officers have grown up in a democracy. They, they are well educated. I, I think Austin has three master's degrees. I mean, these these are very bright, intelligent, great people. And he's been out for four years. So I, I mean, I, I think the the only hangup that some would have, and I have maybe a little bit, is that his coterie of people that surrounded him. He's he's known military for his entire adult life. So he in some cases, might not have the level of contacts within the civilian establishment or the think tank establishment or those in that realm that, that he can rely upon. And, and, and Mattis had a little bit of this. You know, Mattis picked a lot of military guys to be in, to be political appointees within the Department of Defense. I think that's one that's got to be watched closely. And I think Biden recognizes that. Uh, I know Austin does, too. So it'll be interesting to see who he picks as def he picks his undersecretaries i'll just, i'll close on this one we, we look at the trump administration and the number of retired admirals and generals that they put in and retired colonels we got a retired colonel right now as, as the acting secretary of defense it's a big number and and that one kind of bothers me a little bit be candid yeah. with you and that you know you need to be looking maybe expand your pool of eligible folks that you want to have in these policy situations particularly if you've now picked a retired four-star to be Secretary of Defense, now they've got to get a waiver. Personally, I have no doubt they'll get the waiver. And like I said, Austin is is a wonderful person. He's, he's exceptionally well-qualified. So, But it'll be interesting to see how they flesh out the rest of the department.
0: Now, an area that that ASP is focused on but maybe isn't in the headlines as much, we had a a big event on U.S.-Africa relations where we had former AFRICOM commander, Marine General Waldhauser, and chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, adam smith and we had we had a great group to talk about how the us should engage with africa and the continent of africa and how to move away from the military side our our board member matt bergman was was moderator of the event and uh, really an interesting discussion and and i think important to note that stuff like this i think is, is where asp is best taking something that's not in the headlines but is extremely important and talking about it with a high-level group of people at a very detailed level. I'd encourage listeners to go back and look at that. It was a great event, and what do you think, thinking, looking forward in terms of U.S.-Africa relations, and perhaps maybe we need to figure out a way to lead more with diplomacy and less with the military?
1: Well, I certainly agree with the latter, leading more with diplomacy than, than the military side of the house. It's kind of curious that, again, Trump in the last 60 days here has talked about pulling troops out of Somalia, but my understanding is not so fast that they might just be realigned and maybe go to Djibouti. So, I mean, our footprint is not that overwhelmingly significant in Africa. And we're not talking about divisions or, you know, hundreds of thousands of troops, but you are talking in five figures, tens of thousands, probably total, maybe 10,000, uh, but spread over a huge distance. And I, I, that was a great event that we had. And, and I, You listen to Adam Smith and Africa has been uh, one of his pet projects forever. He's an expert on it. I will tell you he's well-versed and he understands all the ramifications. It's it's another one that's extremely complicated. Just look at this past week or just today. Boko Haram has come up and said they kidnapped those 300 Nigerian boys. And this is another issue that ties into something that ASP has been on for a long time, and that's climate change. And its impact, not just nationally, but worldwide. But you know, I, I've long time talked about Lake Chad, and it dried up, and it's not totally dry now. There's some question about it. But nonetheless, it has spurred Boko Haram on, and they've taken advantage of the instability, in part, created by climate change. And you go farther north, you talk about Mali and what's happened in Mali. And I talk about the Tuaregs originally moving because all their crops dried up. These are problems that are just going to be exacerbated worse and worse and worse. Climate change is going to be a huge contributor. So we can't just turn our back and say, oh, we're done with Africa. And, and you would say, what's our national interest in Africa? You may recall we had a couple of embassies that were bombed and had, had a fair amount of Americans killed in Africa. We need to keep involved in Africa, certainly on the diplomatic level more than ever before. And in terms of troop strength, you know, I'm not going to say we've got enough there right now. I'll leave that up to the head of Africa command, which by the way, they've talked about moving Africa command from, from Germany. I think you're going to see now a renewed emphasis on diplomacy first, and maybe taking a look at our military forces there. I'm not talking about putting in, like I said, divisions worth of folks. That's not the case. But it's a region that's going to be growing significantly, huge population. It's going to have an impact on Europe. One of my favorite lines is that these people are all going to flee sub-Saharan Africa because it's going to be too hot. Where are they going to go? They're going to head for Europe. Uh, it will cause instability in Europe. And, you know, of course, you know, you've got France involved in Mali, for instance. So it's a, it's, a, it's a complicated issue. But one, I think you're going to see a lot more renewed emphasis on it. And, and there are going to be some smart people who are really going to look at saying, what do we need? What effort do we need diplomatically? in Africa, and then tie that into from Department of State, tie it into Department of Defense, and work it from that perspective.
0: Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you you brought up climate change and the national security threat. And certainly, Africa is one of the key poster childs for that and how drive instability and uncertainty and migration and and everything like that. But of course, ASP, this has been a, a key pillar issue for us for since the beginning. Uh, but this year, perhaps we've been as out there on it. You've been a part of a number of these events all across the United States and nicely from from your own home virtually because it, everything yeah. virtual this year. But you, you were involved in ones focused on New Hampshire and we did one focused on Alaska and all across the country.
1: Yeah, this plays into my original comment at the beginning that it's yeah. been a boom year for us. We have just been in demand specifically on this issue by many, many organizations. And I'm not going to say I get a call a day, but I get at least one a week, maybe more, you know, asking for ASP to get involved in in this issue specifically and, and depending where you're at. And one of the lines I've always used here is it always appeared to me that the mayors and the governors got the threat of climate change a lot better than our executive department did. And with this incumbent department, there's no doubt about that. The, uh, but it's true. I do remember originally that we had an event in New Mexico in February. I couldn't go. One of our board members, Vice Admiral Gunn, did go talking about impact of climate change, national security in New Mexico. And then all around the year, did one, a big one on Alaska. And by the way, there's good news on Alaska with the icebreakers coming through on the Coast Guard budget that's coming in. And ASP's had an impact here. We've been pushing the icebreaker issue for, for quite a while. And and so, I mean, we have managed to carve a niche here that has worked, whether it be through the National Defense Authorization Act. Certainly, it's been on climate change. We've been pushing the climate change thing since 2005, since our founding. And now, of course, uh, one of our founding fathers, Secretary Kerry, being chosen as the special presidential envoy on climate change and sitting in the NSC and being in cabinet meetings. I mean, you're, you're, they're not going to half step. I mean, this isn't going to be little bitty changes that are going to happen. We're going to get right back into the Paris Accord. They're going to, you know, Trump tried to undo the CAFE standards. You're going to see them come right back. You're going to see dramatic change. And, and I'm not saying the time's already going by, but that clock starts ticking on January 20th, and some of these issues take years. Well, look at how we how we got out of the Paris Accord. that took well over a year to do that, but we're going to get back into it and and I'll close on this point. Is there any example to be used? Look at the fires that we had in California and Oregon and Washington state I mean the I mean historic fires. Yep going to be the hottest year on record. We've had just an, an astounding year in terms of catastrophic weather and hurricanes. Not saying it's all caused by climate change, but it has been, what do we say, an accelerant to instability? It's there. So, I mean, anybody who's a denier, you can go away because there is no denying it now. It is here. And Secretary Kerry has always said, we've got to start now. We, we cannot wait any longer on this. And, and the bottom line, of course, is CO2 emissions. We need to be working on alternative energies, you know, whether that be fusion or the bridge fuel. Of course, I've seen ads for natural gas now, which still burns, but it's better than coal. Coal is dead. And we, we got to understand that. We, you know, so we need to do alternative energies, whether it's wind, solar, nuclear. Uh, those are all things that I think you are really going to see. And by the way, research and development funding, which is semi-dried up under the Trump administration, it's going to come back full swing in a broad panoply of issues here. So it's going to be, it's really going to be an interesting six months to a year here coming up on, certainly on the climate change side of the house.
0: Yeah, I think it's its telling also that, you know, one of the, the big things that could get through here in a lame duck Congress is there's a, a bipartisan energy bill. And, and the energy bill is really focused on all these alternative energy sources, everything from, you know, new initiatives on batteries and renewables, to nuclear power, and we've even been working this from the inside to try and get a, an amendment on a fusion in there, and it looks like that'll be in there as well. So fusion energy is as, as a way to build Closer public-private partnerships and international collaborations around this, and, and try and drive some new investment. So it's, this is something that the tide is turning even before January 20th and the inauguration. Already, I think you're seeing a push from Congress and in Washington to, to get ahead of this, and hopefully that that's a, a leading indicator.
1: The vaccine breakthrough was termed by some by Trump the Manhattan Project. Of the medical community that it that we put the billions of dollars into it and it it was a near miracle that's my opinion i mean i think it's just been wonderful yeah if you put the same type of effort into alternative energies like fusion for instance uh, battery technology which you're you're going to see batteries cars that can go a thousand miles on a charge I mean, it's gonna, we have make those breakthroughs. It's going to make a phenomenal difference in cutting CO2 emissions. So we can get there. We just need to put the funding and the effort to it.
0: Well, I think that's a, a good, optimistic place to close out on. General Steve Cheney, thanks for being with us. Andrew,
1: thanks for you and your work and all the staff at ASP. It's just been an incredible year. Not all good, of course, but we have that niche, and we're, we're really going to boom here this next year. So thanks for your work, and have a great New Year's.
0: Happy New Year to you and to all of our listeners. Thank you.